Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, we're going to look into the Israeli apartheid fraud and what is really happening in the West Bank. Let's get started. In two previous episodes about the history of the area of Israel and the BDS movement, I discussed the fact that those modern-day Palestinians or people who live within the borders of the West Bank don't have equal rights to Israeli citizens, since, of course, they are not Israeli citizens. For more information and context on those episodes, please don't forget to check them out on your favorite podcast source. In response to those episodes, there were many requests for more information on the history of the area of the West Bank and how it ended up in the situation that we are today, especially when people seem to be calling it these days an apartheid. So in this episode, I thought I would tackle the history of the West Bank and how we got to where we are today. The history of the West Bank begins prior to World War I and World War II, when the majority of the Middle East was under the control of the Ottoman Turkish Empire. There were many provinces and peoples living under the Muslim leadership. Many Jewish people chose to return to their ancient homeland after being welcomed by the Ottoman Empire, following the Spanish Inquisition's expulsion of the Jews. When the Ottoman Empire fell to the Allies in World War I, the Allies took control over much of the Middle East. By the end of World War II, when the British have an official mandate over the area known as the Levant, the term used for the area known as the British Mandate for Palestine. Many world powers agreed at this point in time to end their colonization. This included much of the Middle East. For example, in 1946, the British created the modern state of Jordan. In 1947, the modern states of Iraq and Egypt are created when the British leave the region. However, due to the challenges over the area between the new Arab states and the Jews in the area, it is not until 1948 when the British mandate in the area ends. Rather than deciding who takes control over this disputed area, the British chose to turn the area over to the newly formed United Nations, who chose to partition the area into a new state for the Jews and the Arabs. Notice it's not a Palestinian state yet. This is an Arab state. Resolution 181 by the United Nations states the creation of an independent Arab state and a Jewish state, along with a special international regime for the city of Jerusalem, is to be created. The partition plan, a four-part document attached to the resolution, provided the termination of the mandate, the progressive withdrawal of British forces, and the delineation of boundaries between the two states. Part one of the plan stipulated that the mandate would be terminated as soon as possible, and the United Kingdom would withdraw no later than the 1st of August, 1948. Following the immediate agreement and adoption of the United Nations Resolution, Israel declared itself a state in the area agreed upon by the United Nations. On May 14, 1948, the leadership of the Jewish community in the British Mandate for Palestine declared the re-establishment for the first independent Jewish state in the land for thousands of years. The following day, the British officially exit the country and the Mandate for Palestine officially ends. That exact same day, May 15th, The newly formed Arab nations of the Arab League attack the day-old state of Israel. Egypt, Transjordan, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon send their armies to attack the state of Israel and kill the dream of a Jewish state in its infancy. The Arab League gave some reasons for the invasion of Palestine. One, the Arab states find themselves compelled to intervene in order to restore law and order and check further bloodshed. Two, the mandate over Palestine has come to an end, leaving no legally constituted authority. 3. The only solution of the Palestinian problem is the establishment of a unitary Palestinian state. By nothing short of a miracle, the Jews of Israel not only defended themselves from extermination and expulsion, but were able to push the Arab armies back. This included the Israelis taking control of more land than was originally given to them by the UN partition plan. 
Unfortunately, due to war, many refugees were created on both sides. Arabs in the Mandate of Palestine fled war-torn areas for Arab-controlled countries. Where it is true that some Arabs were possibly asked or demanded to leave an area, many Jewish refugees had similar experiences. Many Jews from Arab countries who had lived there for generations were either forced to leave or faced incredible discrimination and headed to the newly formed state of Israel. Following the ceasefire after the 1948 war, the area of the modern-day Gaza and West Bank were still under the control of the Arab nations of Egypt and Jordan. Fast forward to 1967, the Arab armies yet again tried to destroy the state of Israel and attack them with the aim of total destruction. Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and Iraq attacked Israel on the 5th of June. Following another miraculous win by the Israelis against all odds, again they did not only win but they gained ground and took over the areas of the West Bank, Sinai Peninsula, Gaza, and the Golan Heights. Most importantly, the Israelis gained control over East Jerusalem from the Jordanians. The Arab peoples living in the newly unified city of Jerusalem were given full Israeli citizenship and still have that today. However, taking the ground of Gaza and the West Bank is the beginning of the issue of who controls the land. Keep in mind, up until this point, the Palestinian people were living within the West Bank and Gaza were living under the governments of the Jordanian and Egyptians. Until this point, there was no attempt by the Arab nations to create a Palestinian independent state that was promised to them by the UN and the Arab League years earlier. As time passes and more wars are fought and Israel remains, the Arab nations begin making peace with Israel. When we come back, we're going to discuss the issues of peace accords between the Arab nations and Israel and why the Arab nations didn't continue to rule over the Arab populations of the West Bank and Gaza as they had done for numbers of years. We will be right back after this quick break on the Jewish Diaspora Report. In our last segment, we learned about how the tensions between the Middle East powers begin to thaw and peace actually becomes possible. In the late 1970s, Israel's Prime Minister Menachem Begin and Egyptian President Anwar Sadat make peace at Camp David. As a part of the deal for peace called for peace between the two countries, Israel withdrawing from the Sinai Peninsula in stages to be completed within three years. It called for further meetings to resolve the Palestinian question. The meetings would have to include Jordan and a representative of the Palestinian people. And it called for a five-year transitional period of Israeli withdrawal from the West Bank and Gaza. This transitional period would include the introduction of Palestinian self-government. Israel offers the Egyptians the return of the Sinai Peninsula and Gaza to their full control. The Egyptians accept Sinai but do not want to have control over Gaza. Funny enough, their peace agreement calls for the Palestinian state to be created in Gaza, and yet had they accepted the control of Gaza themselves, they could have easily established their own Palestinian state within Gaza with full self-governance. In a similar move, King Hussein of Jordan in 1988 indicated that in his recognition of the increasing authority of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or PLO, as a representative of a national ambition of the Palestinian people, Jordan would cede administrative control over the West Bank. With this announcement, an estimated 1.5 million Palestinian Jordanians instantly lost their citizenship and became stateless Palestinians living under Israeli control, rather than Jordanians as they were a day earlier. In 1994, Israel and Jordan also signed a peace treaty. Many of the key points surrounding mutual security, water, peace, and to discuss Palestinian refugees in a four-way committee, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, and the Palestinians, to try and work towards a solution. Again, like Egypt, Jordan did not want to take control over the Palestinian territories or give any Palestinian rights. 
This left many Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza under control of Israel because Arab nations that once ruled over them wanted to use their plight and the Arab people living in Gaza and West Bank as a weapon against Israel, rather than take control over these regions themselves and make a state of their own for the Palestinian people. The growing anger of the Palestinian people leads to growing terrorism. Palestinian leaders and terrorists begin in Jordan with attempting to kill the King of Jordan in the 1970s. Palestinian terrorist groups involved themselves in Iraq and Syria. Palestinian terrorist leadership also involved themselves in the Lebanese war in the 1970s. The 1980s saw a transition from Palestinians attacking Arab nations and turned their attention to attacking Israel and Israeli citizens. The first intifada began and suicide bombers attempted to harm Israeli citizens and civilian targets like stores, public transportation, and restaurants. The intifada lasted until the signing of the Oslo Accord in the 1990s. The Oslo Accords between Israel and the Palestinian terrorist group PLO, later to be known as the Palestinian Authority, became the figurehead of the Palestinian people. The Oslo Accords declare that Israel should withdraw from Jericho and Gaza and eventually from the West Bank. In five years, have limited autonomy over the Palestinians in those areas, having elections of a Palestinian legislative council within nine months, establish a Palestinian police force, and to later discuss the issue of Jerusalem. As part of facilitating this agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinian leadership, the Israelis implement different zones in the West Bank. This situation is still the law of the land today. The area known as Area A is under full civil and security control by the Palestinian Authority, the new name of the former Palestinian Liberation Organization group, who made the deal with the Israelis originally. This accounts for roughly 18% of the West Bank. This fulfilled the agreement that the Palestinians would have full autonomy, an established Palestinian police force, and Palestinian elected officials. In fact, Israeli citizens are even forbidden from entering this area, as it is not under the control of the state of Israel. The area known as Area B, this is an area that's under civil control by the Palestinian Authority, but a joint Israeli-Palestinian security control. This area accounts for about 22% of the West Bank. The area known as Area C is an area under Israeli civil and security control. This makes up about 60% of the remaining West Bank. These areas are filled with mixed Arab and Jewish settlements, with a plan to eventually establish official borders through land swaps, although the process has stalled for the most part. This is where we are today. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the supposed apartheid in the West Bank. We'll be right back on the Jewish Diaspora Report. In 2010, a law is passed that revokes the citizenship for thousands of Palestinians followed by 2012, another law being passed that effectively limits the number of Palestinian members of parliament to less than 10%. In 2014, Palestinian citizens are denied equal rights in the military and on getting college scholarships and being admitted to some public universities. These laws were created in the country of Jordan. In 1949 to 1956, all Palestinians were barred from schooling and employment. This country passing these laws was Egypt. 73 job categories are banned for Palestinian until 2010. Now, only 50 jobs are off-limits to all Palestinians. Palestinians are still banned from working as physicians, journalists, pharmacists, and lawyers. They are not permitted to build new houses or properties or even repair their homes. These terrible laws against the Palestinians were passed in Lebanon. In 1991, 400,000 Palestinians were harassed and forced out of the country. This was Kuwait. 
And in 2005, Palestinians were subjected to abductions, hostage takings, killings, tortures from armed groups. Politicians derided them, and 15,000 were forced to leave their country. Thousands stranded in camps in the desert while no Arab country would allow them to enter. This was the country of Iraq. In the 1970s, a law was passed that Palestinians could not vote, could not run for office, could not own any farmland, and could not have more than one property. This was followed by a law in 2005 to 2008 refusing to allow thousands of Palestinian Arab refugees fleeing from Iraq to enter their country. In 2012 to today, some 2,600 Palestinians were killed so far in their war. About 50 have starved to death as forces cut all food and water to a refugee camp. This is the modern-day Syria. These are the types of things that we expect from an apartheid state, creating and installing different rules and laws that punish one group based on their heritage or their background. In our last segment, we discovered how the state of Israel inadvertently gained responsibility over the West Bank and Gaza. We also saw how Palestinians were not given independence under the Arab nations that controlled them originally and promised them that independence. The first chance at independence was under the state of Israel, under the Oslo Accords. The Arabs who have accepted Israeli citizenship within the state have full equal rights and no restrictions to their freedoms. However, of course, in the West Bank is a different story. Area A is under full control of the Palestinian Authority. Obviously, this is not where an apartheid is taking place, since the Palestinians are being controlled by the Palestinians themselves. In Area B, the Palestinians have agreed under the Oslo Accords to maintain control over civil matters and laws while sharing responsibility of security with the Israelis. Any issues with the dual sets of laws would be the responsibility of the Palestinian Authority and Palestinian security forces who are in control. The only place left, of course, is Area C, where Israelis control both civil and security matters. The agreement under Oslo was eventually to trade land, Arab settlements going to the Arab state and Jewish settlements going to the Jewish state, and eventually turn over more control of this land to the Palestinian state. One thing that is often overlooked when discussing the Palestinians in the West Bank, we have to remember that they are not Israeli citizens and therefore have no rights as Israeli citizens. How is this, in theory, different than Israeli citizens who live in Area C being forbidden from entering Area A, or demanding Palestinian rights, or demanding that the Palestinian Authority should be providing them with services as non-citizens? Some people may suggest that these checkpoints are unfair or demeaning, Unfortunately, as the attacks on Israel increase, the requirement to find solutions to terrorism also increases. Oftentimes, Gaza is mentioned when trying to discuss the poor treatment of Palestinians. However, since 2005, Israel has had no presence in Gaza security-wise or politically. The area was under the control of the Palestinian Authority and the terrorist group Hamas until a civil war broke out between the two political parties that ended in war and death in the streets of Gaza. This led to the current poor government of Hamas, where all money is spent on terrorism versus improving the lives of the people of Gaza. As we can see, there is no apartheid within Israel for Israeli Arabs. The Palestinians are under control of their own governments in areas A and B of the West Bank and in Gaza. Area C is under Israeli responsibility until a time where the Palestinian government can take control over the safety and security of the land. Even though the situation is not ideal and causes difficulties, it is definitely far from apartheid when we compare it to some of the other things we listed in the beginning of this segment. 
In the end, when we look at the history of the area of the Levant and how we have come to this current situation in the West Bank, we see that the Israelis never wanted to take control of the West Bank and Gaza. It was really forced upon them as a weapon used by the Arab nations who had lost that conventional war. We have seen the same Arab nations persecute and treat these same people with hostility and punishment while projecting that on the state of Israel. We also see that Israel is the first state in history to actually provide the Palestinian people a chance at self-governance. This idea that the state of Israel has rules and laws restricting the rights of its civilians who are Palestinian is just outright false. They can look at the Israeli government and see that for the first time there's an Arab party controlling in a coalition government. We see a West Bank that is under control of their own government with the hope and plan to grow. We also see the same Palestinian government who has refused to call an election for over 15 years still in power, the most recent of course being in 2021 that was yet again cancelled. There are a great deal of issues within the West Bank and there are very complex problems that have to be solved, but we can safely say looking at Israel, claiming that it's an apartheid state, while ignoring the facts that Israel is the only country who seems to be trying to make a Palestinian state, this is all just foolish. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast. And don't forget to check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.